on our preparation for Easter, we've been kind of asking the question, who is Jesus? The way we've been putting it is, is trying to make sure we have a full picture of who Jesus is. So we're in a series called Jesus 360, trying to look at, at all of who Jesus is. We're, we're not going to get to cover all of that in the, the five or six weeks or so that we have to cover this, but we're going to try to cover some of the big pieces. And we started last week by looking at the fact that Jesus is a teacher. And if Jesus is not our teacher, then we're really selling ourselves short on one of the greatest roles that Christ can have in our everyday lives. Today we want to look at a different issue. And, and a lot of this flows for me kind of out, of out of my background. Christina mentioned just a little bit about some things that were significant in her journey. I, I can remember that the church that I grew up in, actually all the churches I was a part of up through and including the first church that we planted back in the 1980s on the South Shore, that every single one of those, one of the fixtures of their ministry week was a midweek prayer service. Any of you guys remember those? You know, we on Wednesday night, we'd go on down to the church building and we'd gather up and we'd pray together. In fact, the church we were at in Texas, they would serve a big family-wide meal. You could get, you know, like it was like a buck fifty for dinner or whatever, and there'd be 400 people there and the kids would go off to do their programs and we'd have our prayer meeting and then the choir would meet. And, and it was a big deal in the middle of the week. And one of the, one of the underlying convictions of those prayer meetings, and you could tell by the prayer requests that were offered, was that Jesus heals. Jesus can heal. Now, the, the midweek prayer service has maybe kind of fallen out of uh, favor a little bit. I was with a group of pastors earlier this week, and one of the guys said, you know, well, we, we, we just have a really small group at our midweek prayer service. You know, it's like eight people kind of thing. But I, I got to tell you, you, you just have to look at our weekly prayer lists that are developed out of the prayer requests that you submit, and there's, there's absolutely no doubt that people still believe that Jesus heals, that Jesus heals. What, what strikes me is that there, there is this almost a significant underappreciation of the fact that Jesus heals all of who we are. There seems to be this gravitation towards Jesus as the healer of our physical bodies. But God made you and I to be body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus heals all of that. And so when, even though we might have an appreciation for Jesus as our healer, we often just kind of limit that to our aches and pains and not so much to our, and, and, not, and don't include our, our spirit and our souls as a part of that. And, and for you and I to experience the kind of peace that God came to bring us, you know, when Jesus encountered his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, after the resurrection <clears throat> in John chapter 20, he said, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Biblically, peace involves our bodies, it involves our spirits, and it involves our souls. You know, if God is in Christ reconciling everything to himself, in other words, trying to unite, bring together in harmony before God everything, it includes all of who we are. And so in in just a few minutes that we have together this morning, I want us to kind of walk through the journey of what does it mean for you and I to accept and understand that Jesus is the healer. And he heals every part of who we are. Physically, he heals us physically, he heals us spiritually, and he heals our souls. You know, um, if you have your Bibles, let's just kind of start with a foundational passage in Matthew chapter 4. So I encourage you to reach in and grab your Bibles or pull out your iPad or whatever else you're using this morning and scroll along to Matthew chapter 4. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text on page 816. And I'm going to warn you like I did last week, we're going to move all over the Gospels this morning, but we're going to stay in the Gospels. So you'll just be in these first four books of the, of the New Testament. But Matthew chapter 4, the very first book of the New Testament, we kind of have this summary statement 
where it says Jesus was, beginning with verse 23, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. In his early ministry, Jesus was not, literally throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was known not only for his proclamation of the good news, but of his healing impact on the lives of people. It's interesting, and the other reference, I've given you a reference here to Matthew chapter 9, and um, in in verse 9, verse Chapter 9, verse 12, Jesus, in, in having an interchange with the Pharisees, one time said, you know, those who, those who are well don't need a doc- doctor, but the sick. You know, they were criticizing him that he was hanging out with sinners, the people who were spiritually sick. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, well, why wouldn't I go to them? I've come as the great physician to bring healing. I didn't come to come to the well people. I came for the sick people. And then he reminded them of their need to become compassionate people. So, First of all, let's, let's just start with what generally almost all of us accept. That Jesus is the healer of the body. Jesus can and does heal people physically. Many of us could testify to miraculous things that we've seen. You know, in, in many ways, I mean, I, last year, I remember some of the saddest hospital visits I made were going up to, to UMass, to their, to their center, when Phil Rogers was lying there, literally on the verge of death from having re- gotten H1N1. I mean, they, they had him in a drug-induced coma. He was, you know, he was on a breathing apparatus. And, and the doctors didn't want to come around and talk to his wife because they didn't think he was going to make it. And now Phil will be here today taking care of our children. God does miraculous things. I, I remember one of the mo- most challenging aspects of my, my first pastorate. We had a, a small child, literally 14 months old, diagnosed with a brain tumor. Grew out of his optic nerve and literally went all the way back. And in the span of about a week and a half, he had two 16-hour brain surgeries and, 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 and a couple of others. And, and the doctors didn't expect him to live. And he lived. God, through Christ, God, God he heals us physically. You know, and, and we've read a couple of passages already that, that affirm that. Didn't matter what was the matter. It was all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. God heals those things. I believe God still does that. And, and so I don't, <clears throat> I don't have any problems that when we pray for people and their health. I think we should do that. I think it's a good thing. I think God wants to heal. Now, I think one of the things we need to accept is that God, for whatever in his sovereignty and his wisdom, doesn't heal everybody. I mean, I gave you a reference here in, in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is in a, in a community. He's having tremendous success. People are responding to his message. The crowds are coming. People are getting healed. People are being amazed by his teaching, all those kinds of things. And he gets up early in the morning. He slips off to spend some time with the Father alone in the quietness. And his disciples come looking for him, and they say, you've got to get back into the city. We've got all kinds of people gathered. They're looking for you. There's a great moment of spiritual opportunity. And Jesus says, eh, we need to go somewhere else. Because there's other people who need to hear the message. When he walked out of that village that morning, were there people who hadn't been healed yet? Absolutely. God doesn't heal everyone. I think, actually, if you read through the Scriptures and were honest with the experiences of Jesus, you would see that, that all of the healings that Jesus did were designed to serve as a testimony or a witness to him. One of the things is I started pastoring and I started wrestling with people about prayer and, and for people to be healed and those kinds of things and kind of the way God worked and, and didn't seem to work and those kinds of things. One of the things that was most difficult for me to grasp was that the act of God's healing 
isn't about the relief of our comfort, you know, the, the provision of our comfort. It's about the lifting up of His glory. That when God heals, it's about Him. It's not about us. And we, we often, as we approach this ability of Christ to be the healer as He is, we look at it and say, God, what can you do for me? And as we look at the testimony of the Scripture, the relief of suffering, the bringing of physical wholeness is always a testimony or a sign of who Jesus is. And let me just give you a reference in John chapter 5. And I know I'm just kind of touching on, on what is really a profound subject for us to study, but, but we kind of need to keep going. But in, in John chapter 5, we read these verses in, 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 in verse, verse 36. He says, But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The miraculous things, the healings that were happening through Jesus were a testimony that God had sent him. Same spirit occurs over in chapter 9 of the, of the same book, John chapter 9. You know, Jesus was asked one time about a blind man. He says, Neither, so, you know, who sinned? This, blind man, this, this man was blind or his parents because he was blind from birth. And he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Since this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. God's healing activity in our physical lives is about his glory, not about our comfort. And that's hard for us to embrace. And God doesn't, doesn't heal everyone, but he gives testimony to his majesty through his role as the healer of our bodies. But I think where we, we undervalue the role of Jesus as healer is how he heals our souls, how he heals our wills, and how he heals our spirits. And I want to spend a few minutes looking at those things as we move through these, that Jesus is the, the healer of our soul. We are body, soul, and spirit. And Jesus came to bring peace, to, to heal all of those so that they are well. And so when Jesus steps into our world, and as Jesus steps into our lives by our faith in him, Jesus can and does bring emotional healing. Now, the soul is, is more than that, but, but as we kind of understand the soul, it's the kind of a place where it's, it's the identity of who we are, and it's the place from which we kind of make contact with the outside world. It's the way we re- react to our surroundings, and it's the way we interact in relationships. And so it's intimately tied up with our relationships and our emotions. It's our ability to be a part of community and be a part of the world. It flows out of our souls. And i got to tell you, this is a place where even in the church, there's a tremendous need for the healing power of Christ on our souls. One of the, one of the saddest things is, is to be around people whose lives have been redeemed, but their souls have not been healed. They, they have eternal security, but they have no peace because their souls are, are broken. You know, um, I've given you an account here from John chapter 8, and many of you would, will recognize this passage right away. This is the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus is in the temple, he's teaching, and the Pharisees again are looking for ways to, to entrap him, and they bring this woman to him who's caught, in a, who's caught in adultery, and they say, you know, now the law says that this woman should be stoned, she should be killed, executed for her sin. And they know Jesus is a compassionate kind of fella, a merciful kind of fella. And, and so they're trying to get him to say something contrary to the word of God. And at the beginning, he, he just doesn't say anything. If you look at verse 6, you know, they ask him this question. And he just kind of stoops down and he starts writing on the ground with his finger. And they kept persisting and questioning him, it says in verse 7 of John 8. And so finally he stood up and he said to them, The one without sin among you 
should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he says he stooped down, and again, he continued to write on the ground. And when they heard this, they, they left one by one, starting with the older men. And only he was left when the, with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I really think that in this interchange here with the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery, that, that as Jesus forgave her, I mean, there, there, there probably could have been all kinds of reasons why this woman was engaged in this lifestyle. It could have been by choice. This is just what she wanted to be doing. But the first century world for a woman was a harsh place. She, she didn't have a husband because he had died or because he had divorced her or whatever. Just literally surviving day to day could have been a real challenge. And with that, she could have found herself engaged in a lifestyle merely just to be able to get by day to day. And here, she's brought into the midst and, and, and she's just kind of, literally the, the, the essence of her being is just kind of laid naked in front of all these people. And in the one act, Jesus relieves all of her blame, all of her shame. All, he just takes it all away. Neither do I forgive you. Remember, I'm the light of life. And if you walk in me, there is no darkness. And you're going to have light. I, I got to tell you, Jesus steps into our lives to, to grant us forgiveness. And with that, the, the healing of our soul so that all the blame, all the shame, all the guilt, all the guilty feelings, all the brokenness, all of that gets removed. And it's a marvelous thing to see that at work. I've seen marriages restored that had literally been devastated by the worst of betrayals. And yet God brought healing to the relationship. I had a pastoral friend of mine whose life for a long, long time was scarred by the fact that he stood on the shore as a young child and watched his brother drown and there was nothing he could do about it. And he just carried this massive guilt for, for a lot of his younger life. And God brought healing to all of that. God heals the soul. You know, he, deep down inside, he heals the soul. And not only that, he grants us by his action in our lives, the capacity to be able to, to forgive others so they don't keep a grip on us anymore. I've quoted for you here a, a passage from Luke chapter 7 where, you know, the Pharisees again are criticizing Jesus for allowing this woman to, to, to shed tears on his feet and to wipe his feet with her hair and, and to kiss his feet. And, 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 it, and, and in the midst of that journey, he tells a story about two guys who were forgiven debts. One had a small debt of like $500. The other one had a debt of like $50,000. And the, the loaner says, well, you know what? Just forget it. You guys don't have to pay me back. He said, well, who's going to love you more? Who's going to love him more? Who's going to be more grateful? He said, well, the guy who was forgiven 50000 And with that, there's this, this sense that, that the forgiveness of God in our lives creates a capacity for us to be able to forgive others. And with that, to release the grip that they have on us. Uh, I have a, this to me is, is such a major issue for us because many of us walk in a sense of bondage because we, we have not found the resources of God to grant forgiveness to those who have hurt us. It's like we're living our lives, and I've used this imagery before. Carol's going to bring it up here on the, the screen. This is called a sea anchor. Ever seen one of those before? This is a, obviously a sailboat. They're just deciding to drift with the current. But they don't want to go too fast. So they call this a sea anchor. They, it's, it's like a parachute that goes underneath the water. So they tie it onto their bow and they throw it out to the front and it just slows them down. It's a drag that keeps them from going anywhere. Now I want you to turn that boat around and tie that sea anchor to the stern instead of the bow. And then you hear the words of Christ says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Run the sails up. 
Go for a nice sail. And what are we dragging out the back? A sea anchor with all the baggage that we haven't let God heal us of. The brokenness and the guilt and the shame and the anger and the bitterness we have towards others and et cetera. And we, and we hold on to all of it. And God says, I've come to heal the soul. Thank you, Carol, for the image. Jesus is also the, the healer of the mind. Turn to Mark chapter 8 with me. This is a great story. One is so hard often. Uh, I remember when I was teaching this, this story in Rwanda. My third day together with the pastors. And, and, and there's, a, there's an experience here in the middle of Mark chapter 8 where Jesus has to touch a guy twice in order to give him complete sight. Let me just read those for you. Mark chapter 8, page 853 in our pew Bibles. It says, Then they came to Bethsaida, and they, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he brought him out of the village. Go somewhere quiet, spitting on his eyes, and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They, they look to me like trees walking. <laughs> and so I asked, the, I asked the pastors when I was in Rwanda a year ago, I said, well, what, what, what's up? I said, well, the guy didn't have enough faith. You know, he didn't have enough faith, so when he got partially healed, well, it probably has some great insight for us, but that's not the point of this story. That's not, that's not the reality that's going on. It says, and again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. And he saw distinctly. He was cured and could see everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now, you could look at it and say, the guy didn't have enough faith. And when his faith boosted up a little bit, he was made whole. He could see perfectly. It's not the point of the story. You read it in context of Mark chapter 8. Starts off with the feeding of the 4,000, right? They got, they got a happy meal. They got a crowd. Jesus blesses it, and everybody gets fed, and there's plenty left over. The disciples climb in the boat with Jesus. They're headed across the Sea of Galilee. All they got with them is a couple pieces of bread. And they're saying, man, we're all starving. That was a lot of work. We should have stopped and ate. You know, we're going to starve to death out in this boat. And, and Jesus is like, what is the matter with you? Don't you remember just what happened? I mean, we had, we had one happy meal with 4,000 people. So now you're in the boat and there's only 13 of us. And we got a couple pieces of bread. Don't you understand who's with you? Get to the other side. He says, let me make a point. And so he brings this, he encounters this blind man. And his first touch, the guy only sees a little bit. Sometimes we can just have a little bit of an understanding of who Jesus is, but we don't have a real understanding of who Jesus is. So then he touches his eyes again, and he sees clearly. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, yeah, you get a little bit of who I am, but don't stop learning because you need to learn more because I'm a whole lot more than you're thinking. And then guess what happens right afterwards? Peter confesses Jesus as the Son of God. His eyes are open. You know, we have broken thinking. We have sick thinking. A part of the role of Jesus as healer is to heal the way we think so that we can see clearly. And I cannot emphasize enough the role of the, the indispensable role of the Word of God in bringing that healing impact of Jesus into our lives to fix our minds, to fix our minds. You know, in Matthew eight sixteen, it says they were, they were bringing all kinds of demoniacs to him. And it says, and he was healing them with a word. The word, the, the word of Christ bringing healing to their twisted minds. And we are renewed. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's, it's just being in the word of God, exposing ourselves to the word of God is, is, a, is a huge barrier in our closeness to God. When we have wrong thinking, when we have sick 
thinking, it keeps us separated from God. It's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so excited about just after our, our 10th anniversary, we're going we're gonna to launch a special season in the life of our church that literally every single one of you can participate in across the board. We're not only going to focus our services, but all of our life groups. We're going to actually try to kind of increase the number of our life groups by 50%. And we're going to have a 40-day emphasis in just being in the Word of God together and studying the Word of God. Opening ourselves up to the power of Christ to heal our minds. Just one more thing. Jesus also is the healer of our wills. You know, a part of our fallenness is that we don't even want the right things. We don't even value the right things. Sometimes even our devotion to Christ is misplaced and built on the wrong things. And Jesus steps into our lives to heal our wills, to to fix our wanter, if you will. Uh, the, the example that I would point out to you is, comes from John, the 21st chapter. Again, those of you who are very familiar with the New Testament, you're going to immediately remember, recognize this encounter. The, this, is, this is when Jesus encounters Peter after the resurrection. Remember, Peter had denied him three times, right? Before the resurrection, Peter was out to prove that he, was, he could be a full partner of Christ and that he was more committed to Christ. He was stronger for Christ than anybody else. That's what he wanted. That's what his vision was. That's what his passion was. I'm going to be Jesus' partner in this. And I'm going to prove to him that I'm worthy of this. That's his will. He fails terribly. Denies him three times. They gather again. Jesus meets him on a beach. And he says to Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah, I, I love you. In the back of his mind, he's thinking, I messed up, but I, but I love you. And then he says again to him, Peter, do you love me? And then the third time, do you love me? And, and in that interchange, there's a lot of things going on. But one of the things that Jesus is trying to get right is that, you know, Peter, if this is going to work for you, you've got to get your will right. And the thing you've got to really want, what you've got to value, is just being in love with me. Just being in love with me. You've got to fix your will the volitional aspect of our lives. You've got to fix that. And Jesus was stepping into Peter's lives to, to, bring, to bring wholeness, if you will. And, and so, you know, and, and really this peace that Jesus says he brings to us, it, it lies in you and I living in the center of God's will for us. You know, I, I, I've used this illustration before, but let's just imagine the air around this table is the will of God. So I, I'm going to pack it down real tight and make this nice block of the will of you know of the will of God, and then I'm just going to place these flowers right on it. It's not doing too well holding it up, you know. I mean, sometimes we have this idea that this this fuzziness of the will of God's out there somewhere. But let's take another example. Let's think about what's inside the middle of this football. Air. Now, the center of this football is filled with air. So think about the football like your life. When at the center of who you are is the will of God, it gives you. A, Glad I didn't knock the flowers over. A lot of strength, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time like it's just fuzzy. But it, it's being in the will of God, being the center of God's will, having it fill us on the inside. It really gives us the strength and the peace. And, and Jesus has come to fix our wills, to change us volitionally. Lastly, Jesus resurrects the Spirit. You know, the Scripture tells us in Ephesians that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that our spirits had been annihilated by our resistance and our just our disinterest in God. And that Christ and God in Christ made us alive together in Him. That Jesus can make us whole spiritually as we respond to His intervention in our lives by the step of faith in believing Him as our Savior and as our Lord. Jesus heals. 
probably most of you in here this morning, I, I didn't need to say a word about you that to convince you that he does that. But he, can, but he heals more than just the body. You know, he, he heals the soul. He, he heals our minds. He heals our, our wills. And he gives life to our spirits. Because Jesus is the healer. Don't settle for anything but complete wellness in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that before you even put the first molecules together to create Adam and Eve, you had a plan to make us whole before you, to give us your peace. Jesus is the solution to that as our healer. We've seen that today from your word. We've recognized it in the lives of those that he impacted directly while he was on this planet. God, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's not a single one of us sitting here this morning who doesn't need to experience your healing in our lives in some way or another, whether it be of our bodies, of our minds, of our souls, of our wills, or of our spirits. God, left to ourselves, none of this is possible. But with you, all things are possible as we place our faith in Christ. So God, we ask you this morning to respond and to, to, to act on our faith in you to bring healing in us. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. And I want to